0: This evening's first reading is from the Gospel of John and from the 13th chapter. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin And began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if, you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you, I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it takes place you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one, I send receives me. Whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me.
1: Now all of our readings tonight are from uh, John's Gospel. And the focus of chapters 13 to 20 in John's Gospel is Jesus' passion, his death, and his resurrection. Chapters 13 to 17 are a record of what happened on the Thursday evening, the evening before Jesus' death. He is alone with his disciples, and after washing his disciples' feet, he speaks with them at length. Chapters 18 to 19 record what happened on the Friday, the day Jesus died. Beginning with Jesus' arrest in the garden, probably just after midnight, one or two o'clock on Friday morning, Jesus is questioned, first light brought before Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate hands him over to be crucified, bearing his own cross, he is led out to the place of execution where he is crucified and later the day dies. The account of Good Friday ends with Jesus being taken down from the cross and laid in the garden tomb. Now tonight, in this Monday Thursday service, we'll start with the events of the Thursday evening, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It is an extraordinary scene. Read with me again from verse 1. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John is so rich as a gospel with details. Every word counts. Jesus knew that his hour had come. And the events that will follow his death, his resurrection, his return to the Father and the giving of the Holy Spirit are the plan of God, spoken of by God's prophets through the centuries, planned and ordained. There is divine initiative with every step the Lord Jesus takes. God the Father and Jesus the Son, sovereignly in control of all that is happening, we must never confuse Jesus' suffering and weakness and service as a lack or loss of power. In fact, it is the opposite. His power, which is not of this world, is manifested and magnified through weakness. Nor should we ever fail to appreciate the extent of Jesus' love for us, The phrase, he loved them to the end, can be translated, he showed them the full extent of his love. The act of service washing his disciples' feet and the greater act to which it points, washing his disciples clean through his death on the cross, reveals to them and to us the extent of his love. What is that extent? It is the fullness of God's love. There is nothing held back. How could there be greater love than the giving of a son by a father to suffer and die for us? God loves us to the full extent of his love. We are loved through Jesus to the full extent, to the very end of divine love. That's profoundly moving to think on as we wrestle to find words to capture it. It is altogether more wonderful to be a recipient and to be experience the full extent of divine love. Verse 2, during the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus knows, the word knows is very significant in John. Jesus knows he will go to the cross as the suffering servant to save us from our sins. But he also knows That his father has given all things into his hands. He knows that he is one with the father. He knows that he shares in his father's divine power and majesty. He knows that he has come from God to live in the world as a man. And to die to save humanity. He knows he will go back to God. He knows who he is. And knowing who he is, and John the writer having reminded us who he is, Jesus rose and laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Paul's words in Philippians are a helpful commentary on this scene. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not kind of quality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Jesus, one with the Father, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant as he washed his disciples' feet, pointing to what will happen the next day as he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross to wash us clean from our sins. The full extent of God's love that it takes to save us requires the full extent of humility that becomes humiliation even to wash his disciples' feet. The most menial and lowly task a servant could perform. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, but not just to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Humility that becomes utter humiliation, the shameful degradation and offense of the cross. The full extent of God's love that it takes to save us Requires the full extent of humility. Think on it like this In love, God created humanity to serve Him. We rejected His love and refused to serve Him. In order to save us, Jesus had to come and to serve us. That's what it took, that is the magnitude of salvation. That is the full extent of God's love. This is what we learn about Jesus. And all through these narratives in John's gospel, the first question we need to ask, what do we learn about Jesus? And then second, what do we learn about believing in Jesus? That we might be forgiven our sins and have life in his name. Believing in Jesus means accepting that Jesus must wash our feet. Believing in Jesus means accepting that he must die on the cross to save us. And John helps us understand the magnitude of the humility of that, the whole role reversal. When he came to Simon, Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter, struggling to accept that he needs to be made clean. Struggling to accept that his master must serve him. Struggling, perhaps, with the concept, the contradiction that the eternal Son of God must so humble himself. Now, Peter's reaction is so real. I do not need Jesus to do this for me because I'm not that messed up. Surely my salvation is about me serving Jesus, not him serving me. I cannot accept that the eternal Son of God must act in this way it is humiliating. Jesus says to us as he takes Simon Peter by the shoulders and says to him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That is Jesus' verdict. What is our response? Will we let Jesus serve us? Will we let him? Simon Peter said, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head wash me clean. I am willing. I need you, Jesus, to do this for me.
2: Our next reading is from John chapter 18, verses 1 to 14. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Jesus, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people.
1: washing his disciples' feet, Jesus spoke with them at length. And what he said is recorded in John chapters 14 through 17. He comforted them and he commissioned them for their future ministry. It's now very late, midnight, perhaps one or two in the morning, as as Thursday moves into Friday, Jesus, John records, went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. It was a familiar place. And John the writer emphasizes that Jesus went there with his disciples. Three times he said it. He went out with his disciples. Jesus and his disciples entered. Jesus often met there with his disciples. Now, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew what he was walking into. He knew he was going to be arrested. And knowing that, he takes his disciples with him into danger, into the presence of evil. And the arrival of the band of Roman soldiers procured by Judas and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees with their lanterns and torches and weapons must have been frightening. A band of soldiers is almost certainly a cohort. We're talking hundreds of soldiers. It is overwhelming force and power. Jesus' disciples would have been terrified. Now John's question, the writer, is this. Where is the true power? Listen again, verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward, taking the initiative, and said to them, that is, those who had come to arrest him, whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Now that statement, I am, is hugely significant. It is the name of God. To say I am is to claim to be God. And again and again through his ministry, Jesus has claimed, I am. I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, the way and the truth and the life. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them, with them. Judas is on the side of all who are against Jesus. And when Jesus said to them, that is all who are against him, I am he. They drew back. And not only did they draw back, they fell to the ground. In the presence of God, in the presence of the power of God, They drew back and fell to the ground. Where is the true power in this scene? Those who opposed Jesus had come with overwhelming force and power to arrest him armed to the teeth. And with Jesus' words, they are overwhelmed and disarmed. Jesus is entirely in control of what is happening. Later that morning before Pilate, Pilate asks him, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answers, you would have no authority unless it had been given you from above. Back in the garden in the dead of night, Jesus asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, I wonder how they said it the second time. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go, his disciples. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. John has recorded Jesus saying that back in 639 and 1712. Now the most significant thing that happens in the garden is Jesus' demonstration of his power through his word that reveals his identity as God. But John also emphasizes the implications of that. That if you are against Jesus, this is what you are up against. That whatever happens... That whatever God permits, that however powerful or autonomous of God you consider yourself to be, there is a greater power before whom, and through his word you will be judged. The power of Jesus you will have to reckon with in the end. And John the evangelist's appeal is that if you are encountering the power of Jesus tonight, reckon with him now. And humbly submit to him. Do not stand with those who oppose him. Stand instead with those who believe in him as their saviour. Followers of Jesus are not exempt from danger or suffering. He took them into the garden. Jesus takes believers into situations of danger and difficulty. But there he, in an ultimate sense, shields, protects, and ultimately will deliver us. It is a shock. That the authorities who railed against Jesus that night with all their power let Jesus' disciples go. That makes no sense. Other than Jesus has his hand on his disciples and in his power is protecting them. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. I have guarded them John 17, I will raise them up on the last day, John 6. If you are a believer, if you have come to Jesus accepting he needs to be your servant, cleansing you from sin, then he will never leave you and never forsake you. He will guard you. He will not lose you. And he will raise you up to everlasting life on the last day. Now Peter, brave Peter, is struggling to come to terms with what Jesus is saying. And so what does he do? He reaches for his sword, a weapon of worldly power, and assaults and wounds the high priest's servant, Malchus. Jesus rebukes him, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Neither the sword nor any manifestations of worldly power is able to save anyone from their sins. Salvation from sin can only be achieved by Jesus drinking the cup that the Father has given him. And what is the cup? The cup is the wrath of God, the judgment of God against sin. You see the picture that John is painting? In order to save us, Jesus must take upon himself the nature of a servant To the point of death, even to death on a cross. And what does even to death on a cross mean? That he became sin for us. He took our place and he took the punishment for our sin. The wrath of God. That is what Jesus experienced in his dying that is what Jesus achieved by his death. And only he could do that. And so he is arrested alone, so that his followers can go free. He is bound and taken alone into custody, willingly, entirely in control. Because only this one man, Jesus, can die to save us. And when you become a Christian, only this one man, Jesus, is able to keep us and to love us to the end.
3: This reading is taken from John chapter 18, starting at verse 15 and through to verse 27. Peter denies Jesus. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a cock crowed.
1: We do well not to caricature Peter as foolhardy, as unwise, or as a failure. He is as brave as a lion. He alone followed Jesus. The other disciple, unnamed, probably John, into the court of the high priest. John structures his narrative to make his point. Jesus is questioned in the middle. And on either side, Peter is questioned. Consider the first round of questioning. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? You know how the first question assumes he is not. He just confirms, you're right, I'm not. They made a charcoal fire because it was cold. Peter denies Jesus. Symbolically, he stands with those who are against Jesus, warming themselves at the fire. It is often easier, more comfortable, warmer to stand with those who are not followers of Jesus. Every teenager in high school knows that. It is very hard to stand up for Jesus in a situation like this, even if you are as brave as a lion. Next, consider Jesus being questioned. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly, I have always taught openly, I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Again, Jesus is so bold. Who is being questioned? Surely Jesus is asking the searching questions. John the writer, has already asked us to consider where true power is, and now he is asking us to consider who is on trial. Next, He will ask us to consider who speaks the truth. Jesus' response is that he has spoken openly and truthfully. Transparency and truth are the marks of his life, ministry, and teaching. In stark contrast to the obfuscation, manipulation, and lies of those who oppose him. We live in a world of obfuscation, manipulation, and lies. In our Bibles is the truth spoken by the Lord Jesus. That for many remains in excess not read. He is a man of implacable integrity, transparency, and truth. And then Jesus said, ask those who have heard me what I said to them. The irony, of course, is that Peter close by is denying any knowledge. Then Jesus is struck. Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus puts the man who struck him and the high priest and all who oppose him in the dock. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Back to Peter, verse 25. Simon was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, again, it's relatively neutral. You also are not one of his disciples, are you? you were with us, Peter, aren't you? He said, I'm not one of them. And then, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it, and at once a cock crowed. Now, what do we make of Peter's failure? Let's be so very careful. Here's what we should make of it that the bravest and the best need Jesus to die for them. Because, like everyone else, they are sinners. If Christian faith is real and Jesus is God and his word is alive then what will be happening in a service like this is God will be engaging in dialogue with us all and across the room and across whatever it is online people will be wrestling with the truth That Jesus needs to die for them. And there's a battle going on. As to whether we come to terms with that. Have you? Peter did. He didn't stay at the fire warming himself. He came to believe in Jesus to be forgiven and to have life in Jesus' name. When Peter met the resurrected Jesus, Peter was asked three questions again, this time by the Lord Jesus, recorded in John 21. Do you love me, Peter, more than these, more than these other disciples that you said would all fall away and you never would? Do you love me? Jesus asks him a second time and a third time, do you love me? With each question, Jesus answered with an emphatic An emotional yes. Now let that question come to you from the Lord Jesus. It's not the same question as as who is he, God. It's not the same question as do you understand what he did on the cross. It's straight from the heart of God. The one who loves us to the fullest extent of his love. Who asks us, do you love me? That is about as Far away from religion is a question you can get. Do you love me? And Peter did, and his heart was filled with thankfulness. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace, and gave me life again.
4: The next reading is John, chapter 18, at verse 28, through to chapter 19, verse 16. Jesus before Pilate. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover so Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail king of the Jews and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, it was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king, they cried out. Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified.
1: We conclude this evening with John's account of Jesus' trial before Pilate. John's account of Jesus' dialogue with Pilate is much, much longer than in the other Gospels. We learn, or are reminded, that Jesus is God's King. Behold your King. That his kingdom is not of this world. That the real power is with Jesus. And that Jesus speaks the truth. That Jesus, the King of God's kingdom, who wields divine power and speaks the truth, that Jesus laid aside all of his majesty to become our servant, even to death on the cross. He did that for us because it was necessary in order for us to be saved. That was the cost. That is how massive the problem of our sin. And God's judgment is. He did it because it was necessary. He did it because he loves us. And what do we learn about Pilate? That all the trappings of human power mean nothing in the end. He is a cynical worldly man. What is truth? Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. Three times he declares, but to no avail. Pilate is an actor in the drama of life, of evil conspiring against evil. He knows condemning Jesus is unjust, but he neither can stop it nor cares enough to do so. Ultimately, of course, he can't because he is no match for the power of God in the fulfillment of God's plan. So as we come to the Lord's table and to the foot of the cross, The question that John has asked repeatedly is where do we stand? Do we stand with those who are against Jesus, or do we stand with those who believe in him? There is no neutral ground. We are on one side or the other. Will we accept that Jesus must become our servant to save us? Will we accept that it's something only he can do? Do we understand what happened at the cross? That Jesus bore our sin and bore the wrath of God. Do we understand? And yes, have we believed? One of the striking things about the drama of the trial before Pilate is it keeps moving from the inside to the out, from the inside to the out. What's that all about? It's about oscillating which side of the line we are on. Sometimes the questions from Jesus are direct and provocative. Are you with me or not? But oftentimes they are sweeter. Will you be with me? Are you safe? Are you secure for eternity? Will you let me die to forgive your sins? Will you let me give you life? Will you let me guard you, keep you and never forsake you? Will you let me personally give to you the full extent of my love? That is the glorious message of Easter. Christ, our hope in life and death.